Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles today, Ephesians chapter 5, what's love got to do with it will be the theme and title of our message here today. It's, get, it's great to see several guests and also folks have returned after we hadn't seen you for some time and it's awesome to see everybody here for worship here uh, together today. What's love got to do with it? According to legend... The Valentine takes its name from a young Christian who once lived in ancient Rome. Like so many of the early Christians, Valentine had been imprisoned because of his faith. Often and and lovingly and loggingly, he would think about his loved ones while he was in prison, and he wanted to assure them that that he was doing all right and that he loved them. Beyond his cell window and beyond reach grew clusters of violets, and he picked some of those heart-shaped leaves and pierced them with the different words. He would pierce through with his fingernail, I suppose, different words and letters on those, those, uh, those violets uh, flowers. And he would say things like this, remember your valentine, capitalized valentine, as speaking of himself. Remember your valentine, and he would send it to his, his relatives. And he would send it. There was a dove, I guess, that would come in and out of where he was at, and he would attach those leaves to the dove. And so this is the beginning of sending valentines. And it's a way to say, I love you to all of your family and friends. Remember your loved ones on Valentine's Day. That's the whole idea of how it originated. Think about the greatest love letter or valentine being the Bible, and even the word was made flesh. Christ himself came to tell us of his love for us. And so today's message will be about love. There's several different passages that we'll look at and consider, but this is the primary one today in Ephesians chapter 5. Family, marriage, dating, work, schooling, life, Christianity, forgiveness, Mercy, grace, rules, law, truth. What do all of these words have in common? A common denominator is love. And we're to have love. A common denominator of all these ideas is love. True love is hard work. And this is a hard lesson for me as well, that true love is hard work. So let's read our passage here. And I'll begin in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So as you read these verses, keep that in mind is that there's a mutual submission idea. And now as the Apostle Paul writes to these believers in the church at Ephesus, he continues by saying, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, sometimes people don't like that verse or misunderstand that verse is really the reason that they do not like this verse. And back when Paul wrote this, this idea was revolutionary. 
The Hebrews had a way that they looked at their wives and women in society, and the Greeks, the Romans, they had a way that they looked at their uh, women in society, and it was not, neither one was a very high esteem. The Hebrews looked with more esteem than maybe the Gentile culture did, and women had no legal rights in the first century. They had no legal right. Now, we know that some would own things, and those were very much exceptions, but overall in society, uh, this was a revolutionary idea because here was the concept of that era was if there was a woman walking down the street and you were a man, you could tell her what you wanted her to do and she was expected to do it, whether you were related to her or knew her or not. That was the idea. They, they tended to look at women as property. And what Paul is saying here is, look, you only need to listen to one man in your life, not just any random guy walking down the street. You belong to each other, not to just anyone else. And so listen to your man. That's the idea. Uh, have your, your respect and loyalty to your man, not just a random whoever it is. So this was a revolutionary concept. Today, people read it. They don't understand the context and, and the whole bigger picture. But this was very liberating to the women who read this in Ephesus. So, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Okay, he's your husband. You're, you're to, belonging to each other. This is why it's such a big deal. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, not just any other guy. You're not property like what they would perceive in that society. Husbands, here's the direction to the men then. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The word for love here is the word agapete, and we, the shorter form is agape, and it means a selfless, sacrificial, it's a divine love. It's a God love. When God so loved the world, it's the same word here, love. So a sacrificial love, men, for your wives, like Christ loved the church and sacrificed or gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, that means bring up into maturity, and cherisheth, that means warm and tender care, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, here's a summary of all of this. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. There was a critic of Mark Twain who uh, didn't like how a lot of his writing centered around uh, glorifying love and marriage. And Twain once imagined Adam standing at the graveside of Eve, reflecting on their sins and their accomplishments and joys. And finally, Adam said, where she was is where Eden was. And that's how, that's how Mark Twain kind of uh, surmised or, or thought about relationship. Now, our, our homes and relationships do not always possess the beauty and the wonder of the Garden of Eden. But we can develop our love and create a, 
a terrific or, or better atmosphere in our lives. It sure can make a difference with this type of love. So what's love got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. Whatever it is that you're talking about, what's love got to do with it? Life, family, work, school, uh, faith, Christianity, church, love has everything to do with it. There's four types of love. There's storge, phileo, and eros, and agape. And we'll kind of unpack each of these in uh, the scriptures and just kind of understand that. Whenever you hear people teach this, haven't you always heard just three? <laughs> oh, there's three types of love. I've even preached to three. But there's actually a, a fourth one, and it's found in our Bible as well, and it's that word storge, and it's a family love. A family love. It's used twice in the New Testament. Storge love is family love, and it has to do with natural affection. In our Bibles, it's described in a negative form because there's a, a, a natural affection that the twice, the two times that it's mentioned. But it's inferred, it's implied then to us that natural love is found within a family. So here's those two examples. Romans 131, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, there's that word. It's this same word here, storge, uh, implacable, unmerciful. But it's written with the prefix, which makes it uh, negative. So they, have, they do not have the natural affection, but it's implied. It's, it's inferred to us that we can have a natural affection. So it's like it's already assuming families have a natural family affection to each other. That's the idea. And the same thing in 2 Timothy 3, 3. And speaking of the last days, and we know that there, in these days there's definitely unnatural affection, unnatural love and understanding of family without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fierce despisers of those that are good. Same word, storge love. It's assumed to be natural for the family. And both of those times it's telling us there'll be a day when it's not so um, relevant or uh, actually happening in life or in families. And so when it comes to natural affection in our homes and families, uh, think about this. Kids at home, if you have kids at home, it's probably spelled, if you're going to show love, love is prob probably spelled T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. It's probably how you would spell love in your home with your kids. One regret that I have is not enough time or investment in my oldest kids. And so I apologize to that to my oldest daughters. And it's such an important thing. You with younger ones don't miss the boat with that. But this is storge love. Next is phileo love. And this is brotherly love or affection, loyalty, and care. This is found in John 21. We'll use this as an example. In John 21, verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest, that's the word agape, lovest thou these more than, me more than these? And he had a whole bunch of uh, fish there that they had just pulled in. And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he uses the word phileo. And that's the word brotherly love. So Jesus says, do you love me with sacrificial love, agape? And Peter responds and says, well, I love you like a brother. This is what's happening. It happens three times. And so notice then, he saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith again a second time, Simon, Simon son of Jonas, lovest thou me, agape, selfless, sacrificial? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. I love you like a brother. 
he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me? But this time Jesus says, Phileo, do you love me like a brother, Simon? He changes his wording. Jesus changes his wording because Simon's not responding to his question with this giving sacrificial love. Uh, Peter was grieved when he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou with Philelo? You love me like a brother. He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. And he said unto him, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I, Philelo, I love you like a brother. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my land. So we have both of those types of love, phileo and also agape being used. Titus 3.15 is another example of brotherly love. All them that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And so there's a uh, church greeting that we love you like brothers. And as a church family, we can love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. There's a family of God that, that uh, Paul is talking to Titus about here. So there's storge and phileo. And then there's eros. Eros is what most of our society would think about when they think about love and, and ask the question, what is love? This is romantic or sexual love. This term is not found in the New Testament, but it's implied and described in several passages throughout the Bible. Here's some examples. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 9. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And he's talking about um, a, a physical desire for sexual things, an erotic type love. In Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable and all, in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Same idea. He's speaking of this eros, romantic love. Song of Solomon. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine, because of the savor of thy, thy good ointments. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the, do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. That's the phrase for his bedroom. And we will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. And so here's Solomon's bride, and she's describing this love that they have. And, and the rest of Solomon, Song of Solomon is a very erotic in nature and in a healthy way. It's a good book for you to read and understand those things. Eros, or erotic love, also highlights the fact that men are different from women. Men are different from women. There's a difference between being a male and being a female, and that's good. A male bodies and brains and female bodies and brains are different, and that's good and just as valuable and just as important. And so Eros would also really point that out. Men and women are created biologically different. There are biological differences. During the seventh week of gestation, for example, testosterone flooding, it's, it's a term, testosterone flooding occurs in males while in the womb during the seventh week of gestation. And that changes, it changes the way that the male mind functions. It actually changes some things in that, in that, that pre-born, that little baby's uh, brain and head. And it separates the connective tissue in what's called the corpus callosum, the corpus callosum. So you have this, this testosterone flooding, 
And it changes how this man is going to be thinking. Women have 40 to 50% more connective tissue in the corpus colostrum. colostrum, uh, colostrum. And uh, it's because of that testosterone flooding. There's some differences between us. Uh, men tend to operate in one hemisphere of the brain or the other, and there's more connective tissue between the, the, the brain of the women. Right and left, there's more connective tissue. There's some differences between us. Men tend to think more vertically, and women tend to think more horizontally. Men tend to think more independence and separateness, and women tend to think with more dependence and interconnectedness. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things. It's just the way that it is. In a general way, how there are differences in us. Women speak twice as many words than men. And uh, I know uh, sometimes my son and I can just sit there and not say anything. We're having a great time. I mean, it's just like the best day ever. And, you know, the girls are wanting to talk. And I'm just like, you know, it's just, there's differences. There's nothing bad about that. It's just the way that it is. Men tend to spell love, S-E-X. Women tend to spell love, T-A-L-K. Okay? It's good to know the differences here in a broad, in a broad way for this. If there's not much talking or not much physical intimacy, then love relationally tends to feel diminished. Here's some more verses. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. What? Know ye not that that which is joined to an harlot is one body? Uh, for two, saith he, shall become one flesh. Now, I found this very interesting. I didn't realize it until this week that the word harlot there, you see the spelling, the Greek spelling is porne, porne. Sounds kind of like pornography. And so that would be the root word of this next verse and this next thing, flee fornication. Notice that word fornication, that's porneia, and uh, it has to do with sexual sins. This is what this word is. We can think of the word pornography coming from this specific word as well. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body or outside the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So uh, how can sexual addictions affect a person? Because this erotic love is out of control in society today. And we had a great study yesterday with several men. And I encourage you, if you have a teenage boy with a smartphone, you need to get him through this class so he can know how to prevent becoming addicted to pornography. Because about 60 to 70% of men in our America are addicted. 60 to 70%. So all of us know somebody who's addicted to pornography. But uh, notice this brain scan, and let's consider how a sexual addiction can affect a person. This is from a, a, a counseling book that I use. Pornography is sexually explicit material that dehumanizes, objectifies, and degrades men and women for the purpose of sexual arousal. Usually it is photos or videos. Sometimes it takes the forms of stories or comic book drawings. Pornography promotes sex without consequences and serves as an aid to self-gratification. It is sometimes called the victimless sin, but this perception doesn't account for the damage done to the person's soul and erosion of relationships. And so uh, there are, are addicts that their brains are very similar because of this perpetual addiction to someone who's on, on heroin or, or crack cocaine or something. I mean, this makes a big difference in 
your thought process. And that testosterone flooding that I mentioned a moment ago, it diminishes the way that your brain responds, and so it changes how a guy thinks. And it can have long-term effects. It takes over two years, generally two, sometimes five years, to recover from an addiction like this. Well, what if I have a strong desire or a strong need for sex in this sexual release? Uh, sex is a natural desire. It's a God-given gift. And it's as normal as eating food and breathing air. But it's to be remained and contained within the marriage union. We read the verse in Hebrews, the marriage bed is undefiled, and it's, it's something that God's given to us. So 2 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 5 tell us, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Okay, that's that word again. To avoid sexual sin. Let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. Okay, I have a great desire. Uh, I, I uh, was exposed to this, or I have this, this, uh, this felt need, and it's a natural feeling that you have. You want to control how you uh, act out on that feeling within a marriage union. Let the husband render unto the wife through benevolence, and likewise also the wife to the husband. For the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come again uh, together again, that Satan tempt you not for your, your incontinency. That means lack of self-control. So if you have a lack of self-control, Satan will use a lack of self-control even more in sexual ways in your life. And so storge, phileo, and eros. Next is agape. Agape love is the divine love, and it's selfless and sacrificial and, and, and giving. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, is our key text for this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Several times, men are told you need to love your wife. There's no verse that I can find that, sa that says that women are required to love their husbands, though they probably already do. It's just not stated because men, it's stated more directly. We tend to be more... Selfish is the reason I believe that would be the case. This agape love is giving and sacrificial. We could say it's the most important love in the scripture because it's used at least 102 times throughout the Bible. Have this godlike agape type love. Uh, Robert Browning. Uh, Though I speak of my love with all the poetry of an Elizabeth Barrett or a Robert Browning and sprinkle my daily conversations with darling and sweethearts and honey, and I love you, but have not agape for my spouse, I'm just making a lot of meaningless noise. And though I read all the how-to and have, good, have a good marriage books, I can, I can, and have attended numerous marriage conferences and seminars and enrichments and encounters, and though I have a Ph.D. in marriage and family counseling so that I can help uh, those in need and couples discover wedded bliss, but have not agape for my mates, I am nothing as a partner. And though I dutifully perform my marital responsibilities as my culture, my church, my conscience dictate, even to the point of being fatigued, ruining my health, or dying in the process, but have not agape for my partner, all these grand actions 
And I like how this is said. All these grand actions don't amount to a wad of chewed gum. <laughs> All right. That's something to consider and apply in your own life. True love is hard work. Is it possible to have a passionate love that diminishes? A giving, sacrificial love that diminishes over time? Absolutely. Listen to this verse, Matthew 24, verse 12. And because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love, agape, of many shall wax cold. Your love, if it's not nurtured and the cherishing is not taking place, it can diminish in our relationships, in our life, and maybe less giving like we should towards our mates and family. So true love is hard work. It is difficult work. And let's highlight two of the difficult areas here. Beginning in verse 25, notice what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And then here's that word, gave. He gave himself. Uh, work is, a, a, love is a lot of work, and giving is part of that hard work. Think about sacrifice. Somebody who is sacrificed, and we think in grand terms, men tend to think in grand terms, oh, I'll give my life, I'll lay down my life, I'll pull them out of the car, I'll, I'll step in front of the shot, I'll take care of it like that. But there could be giving in more small ways that are not any more minimal than the big ways that we think about. I mean, we could show love in, in smaller ways. So sacrifice, giving, sacrifice. How about grace? Just showing grace. Uh, well, they don't, they don't deserve that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Let's show grace. It's the whole point of grace is that they do not deserve that love or that kindness or that forgiveness or that gentleness or that, uh, that kind response that you may give in return. So sacrifice, grace. How about devotion? You know, like on that uh, video this morning, he said, this is my person. This is my person. So this is my person. I'm devoted to this person. That's a choice. Love definitely is a choice that, and here's the hard work that I would give. Well, I gave the ring, like in the, the video. I gave the ring, it's good enough. There's a lot more giving to follow up after in our lives. And we have to be conscientious of this and do the work of giving. Now there's also cleansing in verse 26 to 29. There's some cleansing. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spots or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Jesus cares for the church. He gives Bible direction, and there's cleansing that's found within the pages of Scripture. Wherewithal shall a young man Cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. So we use the Bible. There's cleansing with the Scripture in our lives, in our relationships. Husbands can care for their wives with the Scripture as well. And that's to be a central part of our relationship. And so there's some cleansing that takes place with the Bible. There's Bible direction that we find within the Bible. And all of us must let God's word cleanse us, direct our steps, help us with our path, to go the right way, to make the right choice, to do the right thing. So here's a question then, how can I become more holy? Because that's what the cleansing results in. 
for the church and also for us as, as uh, husbands and wives in our relationships to help others become more holy and ourselves more holy. Well, we find the clue to that in verse 29. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth. That word has to do with bringing up to maturity. So I'm going to feed, I'm going to uh, encourage, I'm going to uh, somehow find a way to build up to maturity. And then cherisheth. Cherisheth, cherisheth means warm and tender care. So some gentleness, kind of like love and truth go together. Uh, if you're going to be saying the truth, but speak it in love, that same idea. And so nourishing and cherishing go together. How can we become more holy? We need more nourishing and more cher uh, cherishing in our families. In other words, you can make your spouse a better Christian. You could make a better environment for your spouse. It's possible, and not all the time have I been able to do that. And Natalie's really good at helping me become a better person, but that's uh, the part of the idea of marriage here as well. John Wesley came down for breakfast in a very melancholy mood, and he was very miserable. Everything was bad. Everything was negative. And sensing the situation, Mrs. Wesley went upstairs and dressed in all black like she was heading to a funeral. She came down and started to do whatever she was doing, and he looked over and saw she was dressed in all black and, and said, uh, Who's dead? Wesley asked, and, and she said, God. Oh, no, God's not dead. And, and Mrs. Wesley responded, well, I thought so from the countenance in your conduct. She was sharpening him. She was challenging him. She was nurturing him and admonishing him all at the same time. And loving others challenges us to make them stronger and more complete Christians. That, that's part of the goal and an imperative in the cleansing in marriage as well, this agape-type love, and then joining. Verse 31, notice, for this cause shall a man leave, it has to do with cutting off uh, his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. The word joined there it essentially means to glue, to be glued together. You as a spouse are glued together, and I'm sorry, but you're stuck with me is the idea with that. Uh, we're, we're stuck together, uh, joining together. So uh, joining, to glue, to cleave to. Think about this. When you transition from being a child into an adult, and from being a teenager, a young adult, into those uh, marrying age years, there's some big changes that take place. And sometimes it's a difficult transition uh, to be a, not just adulting, but to to grow into a role of this separating from my family and cleaving into this new relationship of a husband or a wife. It can be tough for the brand new spouse. It can be tough for the parents of the brand new spouse to let go. These are some challenges that I don't look forward to in the future, but that's something that all of us will go through or face at some point. So trust, dependence, Love and respect, all of these things are required to be able to leave and cleave, to make this separation to then be glued to somebody else. So whenever decisions are made and big decisions are made, and if a spouse says, well, I know that's what you say, but I think I need to call dad instead, and I'm just going to ask dad instead what you say, that's not going to work really good. Or I'm going to find out what mom says about this. That's not going to work really good. I'm not saying don't get advice. 
but you have created something new and you are glued together and joined together. So let a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. So we buy this, we build that, get advice, but be careful how you come across getting that advice from others because it could be highly offensive if you say it or do that the wrong way. Because there's a joining. You've created a new family. Joining to one another requires trust and respect. And it's another one of those things that's hard work. It's hard work. Giving, cleansing, and joining are hard work, but they demonstrate, it demonstrates true love. Now, Jesus is the best example of this divine and agape love. I like how one person a few hundred years ago wrote, if our Redeemer had come to be feared and respected by men, he would have come as a full-grown man with royal dignity. But because he came to gain our love, he chose to come and show himself as an infant, the poorest of infants, born in a cold stable between animals, laid in a manger on straw without clothing or fire to warm his shivering little limbs. He wanted to gain our love. That's a good thought as we consider Christ as our example. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the giving, divine, selfless, sacrificial love that he's speaking of. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth, that means demonstrated, he proved his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of your sin, Jesus still loves you. Hey, in spite of any wrong, in spite of any pain, in, in spite of any difficulties in your relationships, you can still choose to love. Despising the shame, Jesus went to the cross. Taking our punishment, he went to the cross. He demonstrated it. He proved that in spite of our sin, well, they don't deserve my love anymore. That is actually beside the point because love is a choice. You choose to love. You choose to give. You choose to be long-suffering. You choose to be patient. Love is hard work. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It's that word agape again. This is the first and great commandment. The second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. as that agape word again. Thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, by God's grace, you can love God. There may be a friend here today you've never trusted Christ. It could be somebody watching at home you've never trusted Christ. Believe the gospel today. Jesus loved you so much he gave his life for you. And you can love him in return. You can say, I love Jesus. I believe he died and he rose again. And I'm trusting him. I'm asking him to be my savior. And then here's that second command. It's just like the first one. Love your neighbor. Love other people as yourself. A giving, sacrificial love. First John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What's your love look like towards others? What does your love look like towards God? What's love got to do with anything? It has everything to do with, with it. It has everything to do with it. If you have kind words, say them now.
tomorrow may not come your way. So do a kindness while you may, for loved ones will not always stay. Say them now. If you have a smile to show, show it now. So make hearts happy, roses grow, and let the friends around you know the love you have before they go. Show it now. Let's show love to God and to others today. And by the way, happy Valentine's Day on this Tuesday. God loves you, and you have people around you that love you as well. Let's take some time to visit with the Lord. Here's three responses that we can have. Have you trusted Christ? Have you believed the gospel for yourself? Do you love Jesus as your Savior? If you've never trusted Christ, today talk to me following the service. Believe the gospel for yourself. And then would you choose today to love other people? They don't deserve it. We've had some hard times. Or maybe I see some challenging times coming. But with God's help and by God's grace, I will choose. I'm going to keep loving. Or I'll start loving once again. I want to, I want to choose today to love other people. Anybody like that? God's challenged you about that. He spoke to you. God bless you. Are there others? Yes, yeah, several hands. God bless you. Good. And then are you willing to do the work? Because demonstrating love takes a conscientious effort. You've got to be real about showing love, not just saying it. God help me to demonstrate real love and to do the hard work that's needed to maintain love. Anybody like that? I need to maintain love. God help me to show that love. I'm purposing to do the hard work. A lot of hands all around the room. God bless you today. Take a moment and ask the Lord to help you with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, how you're so giving and compassionate, forgiving, kind and patient with us. We pray that as we interact with you and as we interact with others, that we could find ways to show true love. Demonstrating love takes a lot of work and effort, and so with this encouragement and challenge today, let us go from here determined and willing and able with your help to show love more effectively to those in our lives. Uh, we pray that we could have the Philadelphia love and the, the Storge love and this agape love for all of those in our homes and families and others in our circles of friends. Lord, we pray that you would encourage those right now who feel distant or, or discouraged or unloved or maybe they feel unlovable and give them great strength and hope today through the love that's found in Christ. We pray for a great week. We ask you to bless now as we go from this place. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.